0: Thank you for tuning in to Cobblestone Community Church today. We hope this message blesses you. If you need prayer for anything, please email us at prayer at Now here's the message. I'm enjoying myself today. This is fun. Like, and, and I'll explain to you what goes on a lot of times in Dave's mind, big emo boy that was right here. Um, in my mind, uh, sometimes when you think about Sunday mornings, you're thinking about like, boy, I, I hope that song goes off well, or you're thinking, man, I'm, I'm nervous because I, I want to talk well, and you're less, you're more concerned about that than you are about enjoying God, and I really felt like that's probably why the Lord this morning was like, hey, just enjoy me, so we're going to enjoy the Lord in worship, and now we're going to enjoy God in his word because it's living and active, and he spoke it which means it's just as powerful as the day that he spoke it by the Holy Spirit to the person that penned the book of Hebrews, who we don't know who that is. And what we've walked through already is Hebrews one, Jesus is better than angels, amen? Hebrews two and three, Jesus is better than Moses. You're like, amen? Now for a Jewish reader, that's like, what'd you say about Modog? Like, like it, you wanna fight? But he's, that's what he's doing. He's setting up for a Jewish audience. Jesus is better than angels. Jesus is better than Moses. Jesus is better than McEsoldeck. Everybody know who that is? Now, we could have done that sermon. So this is what he's doing. He's, he's, he's doing an argument to just herald the beauty and the worth and the authority of Jesus Christ. And that if they follow him in faith, it, it, it'll be worth it because they're experiencing persecution. They're Jews that have come to Christ and now people are like, how dare you? And they're hurting them and they're like, ah, oh, I don't wanna do this. And he's like, no, 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 stick with it because Jesus is better. And all those guys, Abraham, Moses, the prophets, all of them are in, we talked about it, the hall of faith going, you can do it. You are surrounded by this, these witnesses that are going, you run the, run the race, run this faith race, cling to Jesus, don't let go. The Mechizedek thing, a little confusing. All you gotta know is he doesn't have a lineage. He just comes out of nowhere and he's two things. He's a priest and he's a king. And Jesus is a what? A priest and a king who came from heaven. And, that's the, and then he gets a little ticked off around chapter six. If you read chapter six and you're like, can I lose my salvation? No, okay? You can't lose it. But if, so if you mess up tomorrow and you say, shucky darn instead of dang, you're not out of the family, But you could tomorrow conceivably be like, screw this whole thing. I said, screw in church. I apologize. Forget this whole thing. And you could walk the complete opposite direction. You could abandon and walk away from your faith. That is chapter six. I wanted to focus on chapter nine and 10 because he's going to apply all of that. But to apply all of that, you have to be very Jewish in your mind. Anybody actually Jewish in this room? You're like, I'm like 24% my dad on my mother's side. Anybody? Any Jews? None of us, just white people from Brookville. Cool. Um, so what you have to understand is all of the history. Do you want to cover the whole biblical history really quick? Let's not. All you have to understand is God's people are enslaved in Egypt and God sends Who? Moses, let my people go, Gandalf slam, you shall not pass, that whole thing. Ten plagues, they are led into the wilderness, and God provides for his people in a couple cool ways. There's pillars of fire, pillars of smoke, but he tells them to build one thing. What does he tell them to build? Someone, no one wants to talk. That's fine. A tabernacle. Think tent. I brought one. So, oh no, no. Let's see if it'll work. That was easy. Build a tent, all right? And so everywhere they go, God told them it needs to be this many cubits. Everybody got their cubits down. And you need to put it up according to these parameters and these regulations. And there's gonna be an outer court. There's gonna be an inner court. And then there's gonna be the Holy of Holies. And you're going to put the Ark of the Covenant in there. And in my presence will will be in the Holy of Holies. So everywhere they went, there was the tabernacle. Now, is there kids in the room? In the Holy of Holies, who's there? You're my kid, you should know this answer. Come on, don't let me down. Who's in the Holy of Holies? There you go, God, all right? So here's, we'll just do this. There's God, all right? I don't have, I, I don't have him on call, so I do, but that's our representation, all right? And then what God would do is his presence would move in a pillar of flower, not flower, fire, and then they would move the tent. And they would move it somewhere else, and then they'd set the whole thing up again. It would not be that easy, Noah. Good question. So you have the outer courts, you have the inner courts, and what he's about to do is establish in chapter 9, Hebrews 9.1, all these regulations didn't do a very important thing which Jesus alone can do. And you're like, what is it? He removes our guilt. He removes our sin completely. We don't have to keep coming back to a tent and killing animals and shedding blood. And I'm gonna explain the whole process, but what I want you to picture is they didn't even go in the tent. The priests did. So if you are a Jewish believer, you don't go in the tent with God. Because if you went in there and you had any defilement, any sin, any bad attitude, you had not been, you had not been cleansed, and you went in there, what happened? Ah. Right? And they'll drag you out. So you're on the outside looking in, and you had a high priest. And he would, go in, he would go in the inner courts every day. But he went into the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant was once a year. And I'm going to explain that all to you, but what, what good would it do if we understood, well, there's the lampstand and the showbread and the inner courts, and I can tell you what kind of fabric it was. What good does that do if you don't actually go, but I want to go in and I want to meet with God? That is the goal of this sermon. I want you to have a desire rise in you. I want to go in and I want to meet with God. So every year, they would, so let's just say, this is our tent. It should have a door, but I, I don't have it and God's in there, and you're like, somebody's got to go in there and meet with God on our behalf. Who's going? Sam's going. You say me? I don't want to go. What if, I, what if I'm sinful? What if I got, you know what, let's, let's send Sam. Let's send Chris. John, you're older than me. If you die, it'll be okay. You know what I mean? Sorry, John. You know what I mean? Like, who's going in the tent? And obviously, they had the high priest. It was his job. And so they took it really seriously and he would go in and he would sprinkle blood on the ark and it was this day of atonement and he would literally walk this, I mean, mean, I'm thinking he's like, am I going to die or not? And then once a year, there's a scapegoat and there's all this beautiful meaning, but then you have Jesus show up and here's what you need to know. Somebody said me, you don't need me to come to God. I am not your mediator. I'm a shepherd of the mediator. Jesus Christ is a greater high priest, the guy that would go into the presence of God and represent the people. Jesus is your representative to God. He comes before God and goes, I made that one clean. Let her in. God comes in Jesus, on earth, incarnation, God in the flesh, dies your death, rises from the dead, victorious. He is on a throne. And so in heaven right now, you have Jesus Christ going, that one's mine. Let him into the presence. And that is the weight of Hebrews 9 and 10. You can get caught up on sacrifices and laws and regulations, and you can learn all that. Bible geek the heck out on it. But if you miss the point, Jesus Christ tore the temple curtain in two at his death, signifying that we get to come into the presence of God when we want to, if we come to him. Which means, everybody in here, if you are in Christ, you get to come into a new and living, better way, the blood and flesh of Jesus, with confidence. That is the best news. You don't have to stay out here anymore. You don't have to stand out here and be like, I hope this high priest gets it right this year. You get to say my high priest, King Jesus, he did it right once and forever and I get to come into the presence of God and enjoy him for all of my life. That's the message of Hebrews 9 and 10. And I did it that way because I knew there was gonna be kids in the room and I knew we're gonna get into showbreads and rooms and priests and articles of clothing and we're gonna gonna be like, that's the point of this sermon. That is not the point of the sermon. The point of the sermon is you get to know God. Did you hear me? You get to know God. You get to know God, the living God, through Jesus Christ, who's better than angels, better than Moses, better than blood sacrifices, better than setting up a tent. I'm glad I don't have to set up a tent in my backyard and be like, God, would you come there? I'm glad I'm not killing animals once again for y'all's sin. I don't wanna be your high priest. I have one and so do you. So what happens though is so often we like to sit around outside the tent of meeting and talk about its fabric it was purple and red and interwoven about four inches thick and we come up and we learn the greek names and i'm not against any of that but when does the knowledge prevent you from entering into the promise don't let that happen and so in hebrews 9 verse 1 he says now even the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness. The tabernacle, which then becomes the temple, was that earthly place where the holy presence of the living God dwelt in the midst of their people. They are theocentric to the core, meaning the Jewish society operated around one person and one person alone, God Almighty. God told them to go to battle, they went to battle. God told them to stay home, they stayed home. God told him to set up the structures. Everything was around the temple complex, which still exists today. You can go visit it if you want. Uh, But before that, it was a traveling tent of the presence of God. It was central to who they were. And there was regulations for it. And so the first outside place, obviously outside, outer courts. The inner courts, though, had some furniture in it. It's also called the holy place. And it's got some articles in it. And you can read all that. If you go read Hebrews 9, if you actually read the reading plan, you'll learn all this. Crazy. But he talks about three things. And the first one is just a lampstand. So inside there would have been a lamp, a candle. And all it signified is, is that there was, it was lit day and night. It never went out. And it was a visible reminder that the presence of God was with them all the time. Just burning there. So next time you light a candle, be like, presence of the Lord, come. I don't know. Maybe it'll happen. Uh, then there was also a table with showbread on it. Twelve loaves of bread all the time sat there. And what it was was God provides for his people. And it was a reminder of the 12 tribes. And God provides, God provides, God provides, God provides, God provides. There's also also an altar of incense. Literally just picture like Wildberry this thing, but Better burning incense, smoke rising as a visible reminder that their prayers were going up to heaven and that their sacrifices that were being burned on the altar were rising to God as a pleasing aroma. This is going on 24 seven. Candles are lit, bread's out. There's uh, incense rising, and there's priests coming in and sacrificing animals. There's a lot of work going on in the temple complex. This person's confessing their sin, giving their pigeon. This person's over here giving their thing, their sheep, their goat, whatever, their bull, however big their sin was. And then you get to this idea of the high priest, and he is tasked with this one very specific thing. So there's the inner courts, the holy place, and then there's the holy of holies. And I already mentioned it. It's separated by a gigantic curtain, and it is pitch black behind it, so that none of the human world interacts with the place of God. And it is called the Holy of Holies because it really represents there is a distance, there's a gap. You can't come into God if you're not clean. It was about four inches thick, it was layered uh, material, it was blue and red and purple interwoven cords. I can give you, it was called the parochete, if you want to know some Greek, Hebrew, actually. And it literally meant shut off. And once a year, the high priest would go through a stupid amount of work to get ready to go in there. And it wasn't a private thing, it was a public thing. So here, picture this, you've tasked me to go before God for you. Do you want to make sure I'm ready to go? No, you're just like, have at it, man, see what happens. Cool, thanks, Right? But picture it, as a people, your whole identity is we are the God of Israel, Isaac, and Jacob. God is with us in the middle of the temple or the middle of the tabernacle. We camp around his tent, not the other way around. And once a year, God has told us that we're gonna spend our high priest as, a, as, a, as an intermediary. He's gonna go and represent us to God and he's gonna pour blood on the Ark of the Covenant. And then he's gonna take a goat and he's going to sacrifice it, and he's gonna take a goat, and he's gonna lay his hands on that goat, and he's gonna say the sins of the people on this goat, and they're gonna send this, this goat out into the, into the wilderness called the scapegoat. There's so much like imagery and so much beauty in it. Those are all those regulations. They would go so far as they would set up a very thin veiled wall that you could see through, not all the way through, so that when the priest bathed, they, should make, they made sure he took a bath. All the people, like, if I took a bath in front of you, it ain't going to be a good time. That is what, and then they watched him put on new white garments. And he would go in and make a sacrifice for himself, come back out, bathe again, put on a new set of garments, and then he'd go into the holy holies and make a sacrifice for them. So there are so many regulations, so many rules, so many steps, so many like, don't do this, this many cubits, all that stuff. And then in verse 9 of chapter 9, it says, according to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. All the pomp and circumstance. I'm picturing Just like all the people with bated breath, do this step, do this step, wash multiple times, different sets of clothing, it still didn't do the one thing needed. Cleanse the conscience. Everybody know what your conscience is? So anyone ever felt guilty in your life? You might feel guilty right now. When you do something wrong, there's overt and covert guilt. Guilt's really like, I did that wrong, therefore I feel bad about it. That's guilt. And then covert is more shame. So anybody ever said, man, I can't believe, what kind of person does that? Am I that kind of, that's starting to be shame. And that's a little bit more covert. What the writer of Hebrews just said is all those sacrifices, all that pomp, all those things going on with the tabernacle and the temple couldn't do that thing. They could not cleanse the conscience of a man. They couldn't deal with his guilt. They dealt with his sin, but they didn't deal with his heart. And he continues in verse 11, but when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent. So now he's getting real weird. He's like, we're not talking about physical tents anymore, y'all. We're talking about some heavenly structures. We're talking about powers you can't see. And we're talking about Jesus as a high priest who's not gonna die after 70 years. We're talking about a high priest that's forever. He entered once for all into the holy places, not by the means of blood of goats, and calves by the means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if by the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Amen, forever, yes. Now it's, It's weighty, and therefore it's sometimes confusing. But what he's saying is, don't these symbols of tents and blood being poured out and high priests, don't they point to something greater? There's gotta be more is what he's saying. Because he's like, every year you have to do this. Every year you gotta get that high priest as clean as possible and send him in there to make atonement for your sin. And you gotta get a goat and you gotta do it there. and You gotta send it out. You gotta do all this every time. And then when that high priest dies, you just get his son and you have him do it for his whole life. And when he dies, you get him to do it for his whole life. He's like, there's gotta be more. That's the writer of Hebrews going, there is more because we know Jesus. We know Jesus. So the work of the high priest pointed to the work of Christ. The work of blood being poured out by animals then points to this better sacrifice of the son of God pouring out his blood as a sacrifice for you and I. Now, it's really kind of beautiful if you walk through it, because I think each piece, if you study it, each piece in the tabernacle points to Jesus. Once again, everything points to Jesus in the Bible. Everything. All those stories, what theologians call shadows, they're not the substance. Jesus is the reality of all of this, the shadows Of the Old Testament. So David, King David has these promises, but Jesus is the fulfillment of them. Abraham has a promise, but Jesus is the fulfillment of them. You can go all through every scripture of the Bible. We did that last week. But think about it. The lampstand, right? The lampstand in the tabernacle burning night and day represents the presence of God. What did they call Jesus on the earth? Emmanuel? I know it's not Christmas. We can't do this yet, but Emmanuel means God with us. So you have on the earth, the visual representation of a candle in a tabernacle. You have God himself walking the earth. Then you have the showbread. Jesus literally says, I am the bread of life. Anyone eats of me will never hunger. So you continue to walk through all this stuff and you begin to go, wow, it really was always about him. He really is the spotless lamb that that one sacrifice shut down the altar forever. Jesus Christ is like McKessledek. He is a priest and a king. And those two worlds don't mix. You have in Jesus, the curtain is literally a symbol of his flesh. When Jesus is on the cross, breathing his last breath, he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. It is finished. What happens in that hour in the temple complex? From top to bottom, a four-inch wide curtain that separated sinful man from holy God tore down and tore open. The graves of many holy and righteous men and women opened up. There's like a zombie thing happening when Jesus died and was resurrected. There's power poured out from the death of the son of God. And then you have, I think, a pretty substantial picture. Ark of the Covenant, high priest once a year. He pours blood over the Ark. And there's cherubim over it. And there's the angels, little baby angels looking big. Pours blood over it to make a sacrifice for all of the people. What does Jesus do on the cross? Pours his blood out as a sacrifice for all the people. We could do this all day. I can go through every little detail of the covenants, of the ark, of the tabernacle. But really what's intriguing to me, the writer says that the blood of Jesus does something with our guilt that the old covenant never could do. Go to 914. How much more will the blood of Christ purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? So I'm gonna give you three things the blood of Jesus does with our guilt that none of that could ever do. Number one, from guilt to purity. You were guilty. I was guilty. I feel, felt guilty. I felt shame. I was like, I know all the stuff I've done. The moment I met Jesus, I was pure. I was made clean. Jesus' blood did what a high priest would do once a year and I felt it. I Some of you, though, you were born into church. You don't know the moment that you were made clean, but I'm telling you, biblically, the Bible says Jesus didn't simply cover it over. He didn't just rub something over top of it. He removed your guilt. So when God sees you now, he doesn't categorize you as sinful. He categorizes you as righteous. You are not a guilty sinner. You are a pure son or daughter. That's weird, right? That's hard to get our minds around. Because we want to rock around and be like, oh, I'm just a dirty, stupid sinner. I feel so guilty and shameful. I have hard days. Anybody else have hard days? This Christian thing is not as easy as my Sunday school teacher told me. Or maybe believed. She didn't lie to me, but I just was like, this is going to be easy. And then the world being what it is, and Satan being so twisty, and my own flesh, I'm like, man... I feel some guilt and some shame a lot. You know what I have to do a lot? Is I go back to verses like this and I go, man, Lord, thank you that you shut down the altar. There's no more sacrifices needed and you made me pure. And I don't have to sit outside the camp anymore. I don't have to sit outside the tent. I get to come into your presence, not by my blood, not by my sacrifice, but by yours, which is perfect. There's a confidence in this. There's a weight in this. And if you're in here and you're a new or young Christian, I can't urge you enough to study what Jesus' imputed righteousness means. It means he put on you and into you his righteousness, which is not your righteousness. Your righteousness, according to the Bible, are like dirty rags. It's actually more graphic than that, but there's kids in the room. Like dirty minstrel rags. Have fun explaining that, parents. Okay, cool. That's what our righteousness is. But Jesus' righteousness is pure. Pure enough that you could walk into the holy of holies and not die instantly. So there's beauty in this. And men have studied this for a long time. And people ask me all the time, it doesn't make sense how Jesus dying for me could free me. I mean, even guys like J.I. Packer, anybody know that name? Uh, He said, how is it possible for Jesus to bear our penalty? We do not claim to know. Any more than we know how it was possible for him to be made man, but that he bore it is the certainty on which all our hopes rest. What we lean into is verse 22, because verse 22 tells us this without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So think about this idea of guilt and sin and shame, and think about things like injustices require restitution, do they not? If I run you over with a car, should I pay a fine? Should I go to jail? None of you want to talk to me, but yes. Something should happen, should it not? I should just keep driving. Cool, I'll just keep driving next time I hit you with my car. But that's the idea. Injustice on a human level, we understand. Injustice on a cosmic level, we do not. Men and women created in the image of God to be image bearers then defile things that should never be defiled, dismiss what should never be dismissed, and sin or do injustice against what should never be injustice. That's not the right word of that, but you got the idea. And so when you look at that idea, what can be done as restitution for sin against God? Well, for a while, God provided a way for that to get off of them momentarily, but then in Jesus, he provided a way for it to be off permanently, the perfect sacrifice. Second thing, how much more will the blood of Christ purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God, from dead works to loving service? So, so often I run into people that are sitting outside the presence of God going, how can I earn that? How can I show him that I'm worthy to come in there And so you memorize all your verses, which is a good activity, memorize the Bible. Hide it in your heart, you won't sin against the Lord. That's Bible. But when does all of those desires, like I'm gonna earn what can only be given? You ever met that kid? You ever met that religious person that believes the way they dress, talk, or think makes them superior to someone else and therefore God must like them better? That's not the gospel. What Jesus does by his death and sacrifice is he takes literally, you don't have to do all the steps anymore. There's only one thing. There is grace by faith. You come to Jesus, the high priest, the king, and the sacrifice. He's all those things, which is like, how can you be the mediator of the sacrifice and the sacrifice itself? It doesn't make sense to me, but he is. And so what he does is all of my life I was, I'm going to love God because I want him to love me. This switches that whole thing. It'd be a lot like, anybody know anybody that has like a vacation rental place? And you, I know you've had this thought. I'm gonna be nice to them. I bet they let me use it. No, just me? Okay, okay, cool. But just think. Let's think you're friends with somebody that got a nice little beach house and you're like, I'm gonna, be, I'm gonna be real nice to him. I'm gonna mow his lawn. and be like, I'm just being a good neighbor. But you can let me, you can let me hit that up, right? You know what I mean? This is how we approach God, is it not? Like, I, I'm gonna be nice to him. I'm gonna toe the line. I'm gonna cuss and I'm not gonna date people that aren't Christians and I'm not gonna do that. I'm gonna do another, It's just a list of religious things and it's all dead. Dead works. And then Jesus' work, it's not dead works, it's loving service. Jesus comes in and does what only his blood can do. It doesn't just cover it over, it transforms from inside. So now I'm not just doing things so God will like me, I'm doing things because I know the love of God. I love him. I wanna serve him. He took what the prophet said, a heart of stone and made it a heart of flesh and put his law in it. Some of you experienced that? Prior to Jesus, you couldn't care anything about the things of God. Then you encountered God and you're all like, I care! Who did that? God did. The power of the blood of Christ to cleanse you from all unrighteousness and put in you his spirit to make you love the things of God. The last thing, he says it in verse 27. We got to get out of here, y'all. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, now listen to this, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. And I love that picture. Christmas is coming up. You know that feeling pre-Christmas? Santa's coming. I know him. Same thing with Jesus, y'all, right? Jesus is coming. I know him. This is the picture the writer of Hebrews leaves us with in chapter 9. He's appointed man to die once. There's this moment where God's coming and returning, and all those that are in Christ, he's going to save. And then he says, those who are eagerly waiting for him. The biggest change of this sacrifice of the gospel is, I'm not afraid of God anymore. I'm not afraid of him. I'm eagerly waiting his arrival. I can't wait for him to show up. I can't wait for death to be put away for the final thing. I can't wait for all bodies not to break down. I can't wait for the fullness of salvation in the kingdom to explode on the earth. Until that time, I want to foster a heart that goes, I believe that the sacrifice of Jesus made me pure. I believe the sacrifice of Jesus makes me a loving servant. And I believe the sacrifice of Jesus makes me eagerly expect a greater thing than I even have words for. That is the hope of Hebrews 9. It transforms the human heart from shame and guilt, which the blood of goats and bulls could never do. So let me ask a question, and then we have to leave. There's two types of people in the room. Number one, some of you are feeling very guilty and very full of shame. Those two things are not from Jesus. But I meet so many Christians that just, it feels like they just like walking around with it. Like almost it's your penance or something. But I thought Jesus paid for all my sin. So if you wanna be a New Testament Christian, You have to get comfortable with coming to Jesus. Some of you have legitimate things you need to repent of, which means you willfully are choosing things that Jesus died for. Stop it. Does that help? Stop it and come to the great high priest and go, will you cleanse me? Repent, that's repenting. I'm sorry, I acknowledge that this is sinful. I acknowledge that you died for this and I don't want it. And some of you are like, but I do have these desires. Talk to your high priest about it. Talk to Jesus. I think the second person uh, that I have in mind is you're really comfortable living outside the tent. You know a lot about God. Like if we did a sword drill right now, you'd beat me. If we talked about predestination or transubstantiation, you'd be like, I got you beat, pastor. Sure. Some of you are like, what? Don't worry about it. What I mean is you're real comfortable being outside of the Lord. You know a lot about him. You've studied the tent and the fabric, but you've never encountered the Lord. What God wants is a people that know his presence, that are freed from their sin, and they know it, and they walk like it. The earth doesn't know what to do with Christians like that. So I want to pray, and I'm going to invite the prayer teams to come up while I'm praying. Uh, And we're not going to go back into worship because I'm me meaning i talk too much and i want to invite you to stick around and if there's sins to be repented of these trained prayer team members would love to hear your confession they'll never bring them up again and neither will god why because jesus put them away forever on the cross but you have to repent of them secondly if you're here and you're like man i'm longing for the presence of the lord what i find is don't run away from him I've told God, God, if I have to sit in that chair right there for 24 hours, but you'll show up, I'll sit. If I have to go climb that mountain and I get to find you, I will find you. If I have to wake up at 4 a.m. every morning to feel your presence, I will get up and I don't care how tired I am. Do You see, don't be the person that sits outside the tent. Pursue the Lord. Hebrews will tell us in chapter 11 that God is a rewarder of those who earnestly seek him. Go him. Go find God. Go earnestly seek the Lord this week, people. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you that you are the high priest. You are the lamb that was spotless, that was sacrificed. And you are the king of heaven and earth. And that you gave us your righteousness, which means in Christ, we are the righteousness of God. That in Christ, we have access to the throne room of grace. That in you, Jesus, we have all that we need and so would you apply that in a fresh way this morning to our hearts? The word would burn in us that if there's sin, we give it, we confess it right now. We confess our sin and repent and turn to the way of righteousness. I thank you, Jesus, that your blood paid for our guilt. And so if we're guilt, feeling guilty right now, Lord, thank you that that's not from you. We give you the source of that. Maybe it's an act we did. Maybe it's an action we're ongoingly doing. But I pray that your people will be free from guilt, free from shame. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you need prayer for anything, you can email us at prayer at cobblestonechurch.com or you can go on our website at www.cobblestonechurch.com and submit it there. We'd love to pray for you. Have a great week and God bless.